what we're saying. Thing, things are great. What do we do in good times, in bad times? We make sure our savings are in good shape. We pay down our debt. Live within your means. Save what you can. Invest for the long term, but only invest things that you can watch fluctuate for a while. That means it can go down. Uh, and that's the nature of investing. So choose well, buy low, sell high, stuff like that. You know, um, grasshopper, ant, good, good things, bull, bear. <laughs> yes, we're just going to start randomly saying bugs and animals and people go, oh, it's economics. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. And I totally didn't say our last name. I didn't say it. Well... We're out of you, practice. You're out of practice. We've been out of the loop for a couple of weeks, and as a result, you forgot how to say your last name. Sometimes that happens. I'm also McClure as far as the last oh. name goes, just to, if anybody's missed that. We, we've been out of town. He's been on the East Coast. I've been in the Rockies. Um, we've just been exploring uh, the United States economy. We try to time it for summer because Texas. So, because Texas. Because Texas. Yeah. Yes. I got you. Uh, that should be enough. If you don't get that, it's really hard to give context to talk about the blazing heat of texas to someone yep. who doesn't know what it is so yes it is uh it, well on the way back yesterday as we were driving between waco and temple the thermometer reading on my vehicle said 111 degrees consistently it's just broken and it, all it could write was ones uh and it also said that up in the dallas area and i really believed it in dallas well coming back uh, from colorado um a day ago, it was in the low 70s for the high. And coming into Texas and watching it climb up to 109, 110 as we're driving along was horrible. And then we had this rainstorm come over us and hit us. And I haven't watched a thermometer drop that quickly. I don't think ever. Uh, it dropped about 35 degrees in, in about two minutes just watching it drop. So it was fantastic. And so this is how we come back from our rest. We just begin by talking about the weather because... you Wait a minute. You said you had a what storm? Uh, yeah, I know. That was weird. It was in Texas. We had a rainstorm in Texas. A what? It just what is that word again? It, rain. It, it's where rain. Somebody, is that like the, when a king is in charge of everything? No, it's like when they leave the sprinklers on. Only the sprinklers shoot from a long ways away. It's weird. The water comes out of the sky. Um, wow. Yeah, that really happens. Yes, not in Texas, evidently, or not at least in our part of Texas. But uh, yes, so we uh, we have experienced weather other than heat. We should be ready to talk about economics other than interest rates. No, no, that's oh. what we're, we're still going to, we're still going to talk about that. Sorry. No, no, can't go away from that. So let's give the disclosures before we go any farther. Um, first off, uh, first disclosure is we talk about the weather sometimes. I know, but we're not meteorologists, not even close. We just talk, oh, sure is, heat, sure is hot out there, isn't it? So we do like to state the obvious because we're economists. That's what we do. 
We just state the obvious very vaguely. So that's the second uh, disclosure. We will vaguely state the obvious and then act like we're very proud of ourselves when people recognize and say, hey, look, it's obvious. And we say, yes, we saw it too. <laughs> um, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, which not coincidentally is not just the name of the program and the podcast, but also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Now, that's not coincidental. The program, the radio program, predates the firm as far as investment advice and so on. It's been around a long time. These two bald guys with beards talking a long, long time. But just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they approve, give any kind of a attaboy gal any kind of pronoun you want to throw in there uh, to anyone because they don't do that. I know I realize that's very rude. They don't even um, acknowledge and give a thumbs up to anyone, but that's their job. They're a regulator. So they require everyone who mentions that they're registered with the SEC to speak, state clearly that the SEC is not endorsing them. Um, and I think that's rather ludicrous. Anybody thinks that the SEC endorses anything is out of their minds. But <clears throat> okay, so we've said that. Secondarily, just because it's an investment advisory firm doesn't mean we can do that on the air. Well, why not? Why not give good investment advice on the air? This is what people want, right? They want to give good investment. Well, investment advice is different for different people. Um, there's rules for privacy. There's rules for understanding whether or not it's a good idea for a specific person to do a specific thing. Those rules are pretty important. Uh, so we can't do that on the air except to say, buy low, sell high. There you go. Um, don't get involved in a land war in Asia. Oh, wait, that's not investment stuff. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's military investment. Uh, so uh, we can't give investment advice. This, this program is educational in nature. Hopefully we're teaching you something besides just being more confusing. Maybe. Um, we're striving. Uh, I pulled something the other day, striving so hard to, yes. Um, the uh, We're not paying for this radio program. I know. It's weird. It's a Saturday morning. You turn on AM radio, you change station to station, and you're going to hear paid commercial advertisement. We've been, for some still unknown reason, we've been doing this for 25, 26 years. Mm-hmm. 26 years. 26 years, gainfully unemployed, talking to masses of people. Um, why? Well, we think it's important that people get educated on this. I wish I had heard a radio program like ours, but I probably, if I had, I probably would have changed the channel. Uh, so I, we're endorsing that if you wish. Okay, so you have the last disclosure, maybe the most important disclosure, but you can tell because it's in monotone, high speed, and legalese. So get ready. Here it comes. The information presented on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said statements. However, we do guarantee and warranty that any information we do not give has been ungiven by us. Hmm. Guaranteed. Yep. Right. So now, what happened this week and other weeks, actually, in the market? You can give us a lot of perspective here, please. Well, it's August, and... Traditionally, the S&P 500 likes to slide downhill in August uh, and to some degree in September before it gets over it about mid-October. Now, it, does, it is not always true, although I've 
heard people make speeches and saying that's the sure way to get rich is sell in May and go away and wait till October before you buy again. It that doesn't, doesn't always work that doesn't, way. It doesn't always work. Yeah. And sometimes it works really, really, really not like the opposite of working. Yeah. You, you basically, if you'd done that for a long period of time, you would have lost some significant money. Anyway, the S&P 500 stock index, which is the one we use as an indicator of the market rather than the Dow Jones Industrial Average, because Dow Jones Industrial Average, frankly, is only 30 stocks and probably doesn't do, they generally run pretty close to each other, but sometimes one goes up and the other one goes down. So the 500 stock index is the one we use. It did an up and down dance uh, all week uh, where traders are trying to figure out what's good news, what's bad news, and what good news is bad news and what bad news is good news. And they're very confused. And if you feel like you're confused about what causes the market to go up and down, I don't think you're any more confused than they are. They're often confused, but they never show it. They make clear statements as to why they did what they did when they really don't know, which is a suitably American pastime. Anyway, for the last three weeks, not counting this week, but three weeks prior, uh, it was dropping. And it dropped a couple of percent, actually dropped about four point something percent. But this week, it changed its mind. And it rose 0.82% after going up and down vigorously all during the week. Now, that's not a big change. However, if you multiply it times 52, it becomes huge, which for 52 weeks. So it was a pretty good rise in the in the s It's a bad idea to, to multiply things right. by 52 in general. Just going around multiplying yeah. things by 52 can get you very confused. Well, Speed limits yep, particularly. <laughs> particularly the quarters. The uh, Labor Department, the Commerce Department, and, and just about everybody else comes out with these numbers. Annualized. Like when they report yes. the G- GDP for one quarter, they multiply it times four to give you the annualized number and don't tell you what it really did in the quarter. You have to figure it out for yourself. I don't understand that. doesn't make a lot and of sense. Get, there's other reports from the same departments, uh, the same, whether it be the Labor Department or the uh, or the Commerce Department. There's other reports they have where it's, when they give you the number, it's not for the whole year. It's just for that time period. And they don't, in many cases, now it's in the actual report, but in many cases, the news media does not mention what the time period is it's referring to. So when you ask somebody, what's the GDP look like for this quarter? Right now, uh, it's the estimate from the Richmond Fed, Federal Reserve Bank, and from Moody's is it's going to be like, above 4%, like 4.8% is the last one I heard. But that's not for the quarter, even though they say it's for the quarter. That's for it, that's if it rose at, if it rose at the same rate for the whole year as it's going to rise this quarter. Wait a minute. Are you saying yes. that there might be wobbly data there when you estimate something and then you multiply it by a large number? You, Definitely. You might have a little error in there somewhere? Yeah. Maybe? Anyway. <laughs> so we're so, not multiplying uh, by 52 when it comes to the weekly returns. But... If we did, so it would be this, astronomically large. There's this big argument going on in the market, in effect, and that's why it zigzags up and down. As to whether we're headed into a recession because the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates too much or whether this really healthy-looking economy that we're in is just going to earn more, create more earnings and, and make stocks relatively cheap now, even though they, some people think they're expensive. So there's big arguments going on. And that's normal in a bull market. It is going. But it was interesting that in it, 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 it actually got its gain on Friday. It was pretty well neutral going into Friday. Um, and it got its game, gain as Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, was making a speech at Jackson Hole, the annual symposium the Federal Reserve holds there, stating that 
uh, inflation is still too high and there's a distinct possibility they'll have to raise interest rates some more, which normally would cause the market to go down. But in this case, it caused the market to go up. I really understand that, but I'm not going to go into it. Okay. So this 0.82% rise, where does that leave us? The index is up 14.75% this year, 23% higher than last October 12th, 97% higher than in March 2020, and about 25% higher than it was three years ago. Of course, it's important to note that uh, if you invested a lot of money in an S&P 500 index uh, in about January 6th of 2022, you'd be down 8% or something like that. Uh, So the market is not at at anything like an all-time high, despite the fact it's risen quite a lot since uh, October. So it's not an all-time high, but it's way up over what it was several years ago. It doesn't feel so good if you got in at the beginning of 2022. Mm -hmm. And But if you're a long-term investor, three years is the minimum time that you should be looking at. And it's actually averaged greater than the 10% average annual rate of return or something like that over that period. Anyway, um, the yield of the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is the fascinating thing to me. Last week, it jumped rather substantially. it only slipped, it slipped a little bit this week, 0.01%, which really doesn't count too much. So it's yielding 4.25%. Now that's really unusually high uh, for the 10-year note in the last decade or so. Now you go back into the 1990s and that was a pretty normal level. And that looks more and more what we're, like what we're returning to. Um, the short-term treasury securities, they're called bills. They mature in one year or less. They climbed to well over five and a half percent. They they were up a little bit. This it's it's the the six month T bill, for example, if you annualize it, is five point six one percent. Again, that's annualized yields on the twenty and thirty year bonds climbed a bit. They're at four point five and four point three. So we have this kind of interesting shape to the yield curve right now. It's not it, it's inverted, yes, meaning short-term rates are much higher than long-term rates. But short-term rates are high and they're still rising. Long-term rates are rising also, and in the middle, the 10-year note is pretty much the lowest point in the yield curve, which is sort of odd. So we have sort of this M, this V-shaped yield curve, which... I think it looks more like a seagull. A seagull. Yeah. So like like in all the pictures of, of the coast, you see the little seagulls. They're, they're not, yeah, the like, M-shaped yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, um, Flattened it's, really, it's sort of interesting. Right. Maybe it's advertising. Maybe that's it. We okay. don't have a name for that in economics, by the way. It's it's still technically inverted because the low end is definitely higher than the mid and the long end, but it's got some weirdness to it. It's fun to watch. It is. Um, so generally speaking, if you're a long-term investor, Wait. the market is up. The stock market, yes? We have an opportunity to name this yield curve, but we don't what know do what to name it. We could yield it. We could call it the Mike curve. The McDonald curve. The McDonald curve. Or we could yes. call it the McClure curve. There we go. Okay, we'll call it the McClure curve. You, no, I don't want to. We could, so uh, we could name something horrible that we never want to see again after us. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's kind of the way people feel about us, right? Well, wait, maybe not quite so bad. All right. So <clears throat> last comment about stocks. Okay. Uh, well, also, uh, you know what I, I didn't? I haven't said anything about what happened with Earl. I usually Earl? say something about what, Earl. West Texas Intermediate Earl? Yeah, it didn't do much. It rose just a little bit for the week. Um, it's about $82 a barrel, uh, which is 
and which is why you see diesel and gasoline prices up a little bit. Didn't do much this week, just like the uh, the the interest rates didn't do much. Yeah. Um, just just driving across New Mexico and Colorado, seeing the gas prices was fascinating. Oh yeah, same was true in the Appalachians. Uh, it, it, tremendous variance. One town to the next could be fifty cents different at mm-hmm. the pump. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, it 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 pretty much matches with what's going on in the economy and the markets. Nobody really has. There's very some, few people out there who remember this economic situation. And as a result, people don't know which way to jump. Right. And we'll, uh, we'll talk more about confusing. that specifically because it's, it's absolutely amazing stuff. It's great to look at. Hey, our, our economy is essentially out of sync. But let's wa- wrap up <laughs> the marketplace. Well, last thing I have to say is interest rates, the, the, the question keeps being raised by the pundits, when are interest rates going to come down? And the answer from what I can see is not anytime soon. And there's a couple of reasons for that, um, which I'd like to touch on. Yeah. The, the issue it, it, that's is driving, that the end of the market though? That's, that is the, well, I, I, that's what happened in the markets. That, that's um, what happened in the markets. Okay. All right. So why is there a separate issue? So now you're going to jump into why, and, and I'm, have great stuff to add to this why it is that the um interest rates are not likely to come down anytime soon right go ahead it gets a little complicated except for the fact that and you and jake you probably know the exact number how big the fed's balance sheet is at this point but it's big and what do you mean by balance sheet that means they are in possession of a lot of bonds that they bought out of the market. Now, when, when the Fed buys bonds on the open market, by the way, the committee that we talk about when the, the committee meets and they set the interest rate, it's called the Federal Open Market Committee. So I'm, I'm going to round this to the nearest million, okay. 8139000000 That's okay. a balance sheet at the moment. Yes. That, 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 by the way, is a lot. Yes, that Big. that when you when you're doing that in math, we just replace and a lot of times like in formulas, you replace numbers with variables. So we just replace it with the word lot. Yeah, it just Bunch. makes more sense. Bunch, lot, Bunch stuff or like that. Lot. It, yeah. it a makes whole, a, really, a whole lot. Is a real big, lot. real big. Right. Okay. Uh, because during the pandemic, the Fed vigorously bought bonds. Now, they bought mortgage bonds, they bought treasury bonds, and in doing so, as they're busily buying, I'll, I'll that's give called you, demand. Right. They had $3.7 trillion on their balance sheet prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they bought uh, a almost, almost $5 trillion, so far more okay. than doubled. So what you've got is the Fed holds a lot of bonds, and it doesn't like holding a lot of bonds. It likes having a lower level of balance sheet so it can go back in and buy bonds again in the future if it needs to. So when the Fed bought all those bonds, what that did is effectively converted paper. It's not technically paper, but it can it, it converted a bond, which you can't use to buy groceries with or cars or anything. It's, it's a very nice instrument. It's a financial instrument, but it isn't money. It converts bonds to money, which puts more money into the system. So what and it does, it's buying Here's some dollars. Go spend them. I'm going to take that bond. Okay. Yeah. Now, they need to get rid of a lot of bonds. They want to get rid of a lot of bonds. And they do that by selling the bonds back into the market. Now, when they buy bonds in the market, 
That means there's a high, there is a high demand for the bond. Interest rates go down and the value of the underlying bonds that are on the market go up, which makes everybody relatively happy. Now, when they start selling bonds into the market, they are supplied. The market has limited demand. So what happens in then is the price of bonds go down. And as the price of bonds go down, what we notice is the interest rate on a given bond goes up because the, they're paying the same fixed payment to you every month or every quarter. And as the principal value of that bond on the open market goes down, your interest rate effectively goes up even though you're only receiving the same number of dollars. So that's what raises interest rates. Well, the Fed has got a lot of selling into the market left to do. Which means interest so, rates aren't going to be coming down when they do right. that. They're and, selling... They're selling $95 billion, with a B, $95 billion of bonds a month. Yeah. And if you want to know when interest rates are possibly going to come down, there's no guarantee that will happen either. Just watch the Fed's balance sheet. When it gets back to the point that they were pre-pandemic, then there is the possibility that interest rates will come down at some point. Just the possibility, not a certain. But until it's back to the balance it was in 2019, don't expect to see interest rates come down. And I don't really understand why the pundits um, and the traders and the people who are doing things with bonds are waiting for the interest rates to suddenly drop because the Fed has got a lot of selling to do. And as long as they've got a lot of selling to do, interest rates are going to be high, all other things aside. And uh, when you combine the fact that they have a lot of selling to do and the economy is still, by their terms, running too hot, no, we're not going to see interest rates come down anytime soon. So if you're waiting on that one, you're going to wait a long time. At the current extremely rapid rate of sale from the Fed at about $95 billion a month, it'll take us a between 52 and 53 months to get back to where we were pre-pandemic. That's more than four years. Well, at that point, the And Fed that's with no hiccups in the middle. Because <laughs> we had, if you go back uh, to SVB and the failure there, the Federal Reserve pumped $500 billion back into their balance sheet because they gave out loans with bonds as collateral to all those middle-sized banks. $500 billion. This is why right after the failure of the bank, we said we don't see a lot of problem in the future. The Fed just came in and rescued everybody. It's kind of like in banking, you don't want to be at the front of the herd to to be the first ones to fall off the cliff because you're going to die. Everybody else, there's a big safety net that comes sweeping out from both ends and catches you. But if you're at the first part of the pack, yeah. Um, So $500 billion got added back to the sheet. That's like more than five months that got added back into how long interest rates have to be up. So if we have any more hiccups like that, it means even longer into the future will those interest Mm -hmm. rates be high. So what what we've got is a situation where and we've been talking about this for so long, but I just noticed in the journal and other publications, they're finally beginning to acknowledge the reality of it. Eventually, we'll get back to a positive yield curve with short-term interest rates being lower than long-term interest rates because that is the native state of any yield curve of, of, of bonds. However, getting back to that yield curve probably will not involve the short-term rates going back down to next to zero. It will involve short-term rates returning to their long-term average, which is not quite as high as it is now, around 3%, in other words, and the longer-term rates going higher. And we're, we're really starting to see that happen now. So again, if you own a portfolio of bonds or a bond mutual fund and you look at your 
um, return over the last several years, it is either going to be an extremely low number or negative. And that is not likely to change in the near future. Um, there's so, a lot of people who'd like it to change and believe it will change because they've only experienced low interest rates and they think that's normal. But it is abnormal and it, there's nothing history. likely to generate them again. Yeah. One of the other things that we've talked about over the past several years is full year plus a little bit where the inflation's coming from. And there was a lot of thought it came from the stimuluses and we talked about how it does not look like that's where it came from. They didn't have big stimulus programs in the UK, in the Eurozone, in Turkey, um, nor in China. China, they've not had inflation, but they had a lockdown that lost, lasted two years. The UK is running at about 6.8% inflation right now. The Eurozone's at about 5.3%. So they're both coming down from those really high numbers, double-digit numbers of 10.6% and 11.1% at the end of last year. The US is running at 3.2%. What does that say about the stimulus? Well, we didn't spend it. We still have a bunch of it in the banks. And that's, there's a lot of articles that I'm reading as it comes along that we've set a new normal for what's comfortable in our bank accounts. And people are hitting the point, they're looking back to the absolute record amount they had in the bank, never had that much savings in the bank during the pandemic. And they're feeling uncomfortable that they're not up at that high water mark anymore. Where they are now is significantly higher than what it was before the pandemic. But they feel uncomfortable about not having enough savings in the bank because they had more during the pandemic. Anytime you have a big event, plagues, catastrophes, wars, it sets a mind frame, a paradigm in the minds of the people that lived through it. We all lived through the pandemic. We have some thoughts about how much toilet paper we should have in our house. Those thoughts didn't exist. Now, you might, your opinion might be, no, I'm only going to have a certain amount of toilet paper, but you probably didn't have that opinion before the pandemic. You've made a new opinion and you're willing to talk to people about it. This is not something that happened pre prior to the pandemic. A lot of other things changed as well. What we consider a good amount to have in the bank as a country has changed. There's not somebody at the top or side or bottom somewhere saying, this is the new number. We all have a new number, each one of us. And on average, that number is a lot higher than it was pre-pandemic. And it's lower than it was at the top when we had the most money in the bank during the pandemic. And for most of us, we look at that and say, ah, I'm feeling uncomfortable. We're starting to see that in the spending numbers, by the way. Spending is now increasing at about the same weight that wages are increasing, where for a long time there, it was increasing at a faster rate than wages were increasing. That's, that's because we had money to spend. We had inflation during that time period, where in Turkey, they just stopped spending in a lot of cases, unless they absolutely had to. Here, we didn't get it wrapped into our economy. Our, our numbers are coming down to the target. And that's my wrap-up for this week. I'm, it's, I'm essentially saying that I'm really happy to live in the United States of America, that as chaotic and stupid as our politics and our economy is, are still pretty awesome. Glad to be here. Um, so now I'm going to hand it off to you for your version of a wrap-up. Well... The wrap-up is that both the economy and the markets are doing well in the United States and look 
from every aspect that I can see, like they're going to continue to do well. The indicators that traditionally have let us know when a recession is imminent aren't working. And they're not working because we are not in a typical cyclical supply-driven situation in the world right now or in the United States. Rough roads ahead, possibly. Uh, and we need to approach this with caution. But the health of our economy, when you compare it to the rest of the world, is astonishing. It is astonishing everybody who pays any attention to it. So don't, I, I warn you, don't be negative about that. We're proceeding along at a good speed in the United States. Inflation is coming down. The Fed may or may not raise some rates in the future, but they're pretty close to the end of the rate increase. Interest rates are up, though. And trying to get a mortgage right now, you expect to pay a lot of money. I wouldn't be surprised to see mortgage rates go up a little further. But uh, all in all, the thing to keep you the, your eye on is we have record low unemployment, as Jake said, in 16 states. We have a healthy growing economy and inflation is coming down. I just don't think it gets a lot better than this. That's that's what we're saying. Things, things are great. What do we do in good times and bad times? We make sure our savings are in good shape. We pay down our debt. Live within your means. Save what you can. Invest for the long term but only invest things that you can watch fluctuate for a while. That means it can go down. Uh, and that's the nature of investing. So choose well, buy low, sell high, stuff like that. You know, um, grasshopper, ant, good, good things, bull, bear. <laughs> yes, we're just going to start randomly saying bugs and animals and people go, oh, it's economics. Very cool. And we're about out of time for this hour. Uh, we are going to be back next hour. There's more to talk about what's going on in the energy world, why we're having the disruptions that we're having at the gas station and so on. Uh, it's good stuff. We've lots, lots to talk about on that subject. But we kind of have a hard break. So if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do investment advice for real people uh, and portfolio management. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, there are, we have voicemail on the weekends, real life people during the week. You can call us locally at 254-947-1111 or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can see our made for radio faces, sign up for our newsletter, read our newsletter. If you don't like signing up for things. You can download our radio programs going back a long ways. Get our podcasts wherever you get podcasts. You can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com.